Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma in C podcast. This is part eight of a series in which Dorje Lopan Dr. Han Lai teaches about the five Buddha families, a tantric organizing principle for understanding our own original wakefulness. Getting to know the five Buddha families can allow us a better understanding and recognition of the nuances and qualities of our own awakened nature, like a colorless light when refracted. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. So here, let's come back to this basic diagram uh, that we have here. Uh, we have some extras somewhere. Can we, can we locate them? Ah, right there. So actually, any questions before we continue on? Comments. Just what um, a comment about uh-huh. um, when I was at Toromango this past uh-huh. summer, and, and the um, it was a retreat on the Vajrayana, mm-hmm. um, and I saw that some people, a good number of people, freaked out about the weirdness of this all, mm-hmm. like like Vajrayogini with her mm-hmm. sound head and her fangs. Mm-hmm. And, People were saying by the end, you know, my skin is crawling, get me out of here. <laughs> and others of us felt like we're home, you know, we're home. But I just, um, I just think it's, um, there is something about the Vajrayana that, um, that some, some people really, really can't, um, just, it, it doesn't speak to him, you could say. Yeah, yeah no karmic connection. Uh-huh. Mm. And then some of us uh, over-domesticate Vajrayana too. Mm. Then the power is lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some degree of skin, skin crawling, it might be good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you want... To experience some of that, just go to India and walk around. It's enough to make some skin crawl. <laughs> the stockiness of it all is like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, to over-domesticate. Yeah, yeah, over-domesticate. Uh, so the rawness is sometimes gone, I think. Uh, if we... Yeah, kind of over-domesticate, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bajar Varahi, for example, mm-hmm. I think sometimes has been like over-domesticated, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in ways that I think like, for example, in the Hindu context, Kali 
maintains some of her sketchiness right. <laughs> in ways that Vajavarahi might have been completely deodorized oh. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I don't know, you know. So some Kali energy might be brought back in. I mean, minus the animal sacrifice. That's the line that Buddhists will not cross. But, but some sketchiness, you know. Yes, yeah, some, some stinkiness could probably be brought back in eh? <laughs> to keep it raw. <laughs> now, if you if you practice like Vajravarahi intensively, then it will start. You know, it will start actually. Um, I think the over domestication is only superficially on the outside. Uh, when you actually start engaging in some of these practices, then uh, certain aspects of Vajrabharahi kind of arises, and, and that's when you go, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, one thing I noticed in, in meditation, just generically, is mm-hmm. that when I first started, it was a blissful practice, right. but then, yes. now I get like all the, it's like the nasty layer yes. before I get to the light. Right. You know, so it's like, does this gross you out? Right. I'll try this on. <laughs> right, right. You know, so it's kind of like... So kind of like the shadow side is going to come up. Yeah. And then you, you, you then have to work with that. Uh, yeah, so... I'm looking over there and seeing in that picture. In that picture of the black hat dancer, uh, on the right side of that frame are the four uh, door guardians. Um, They are like creatures, like four different types of creatures, humanoid figures, but with like a, I think a hyena face and a wolf face and a dog face. And I don't know what the fourth one is. I don't remember. Hubu, I think, maybe. Um, four of these. And, and in the Tantric Mandala, they are like the four door guardians. And they are also then said to be the four immeasurable. Loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And uh, so, as in, you have to enter the mandala through these four immeasurable minds. But they are also you know, in in a charm in a monastic dance, uh, you know, they come alive. You know, people impersonate them. Uh, these guys in Tibet, they are fairly well behaved, but they 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 take on kind of this trickster figure. So they would go around. There are lots of lay people who will come for these occasions. And from time to time, they would go and drag some helpless layperson, usually like women, because women are really shy, Tibetan women, and they would drag them out to the dance floor and drop them in the middle and run away. <laughs> so there's some of that kind of like, you know, people are afraid of them. And, um, but the ones in Ladakh are really obnoxious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you were there, so you, you remember. The fundraiser kids? Yes. They're the same. And uh, 
these guys hold the weapons that they classically hold in um, the text. So a chain, let's see, a hook, za hung, a lasso, bum, iron chain, and then a bell. Uh, their counterparts in Ladakh hold that and also wooden penises. <laughs> like that. And they would go to the audience and stick it in their face until you pay up. Like money. Otherwise, they'll stick it in your ear, stick it in your face, and then everybody will be laughing and laughing and laughing until you pay up. Of course, they target the foreigners. <laughs> They'll like stick it right here, you know, and you try to ignore them, you ignore them. Someone else will come, now there's two of them sticking <laughs> both wooden penises at you. inconceivable <laughs> yeah. so in the dance floor you know something very kind of serious is going on um, the kind of annual exorcism uh, and the black hat dancers come out and they do this whole meditation as they meditate inside they perform it outside uh, the overcoming of the ego is symbolized by this one kind of kind of a dull body that they cut up and you know there's the proper way of dismembering this this kind of self-grasping so very serious and then you have these tricksters walking around comic relief (laughs) Uh Uh there's a scud question regarding entering the dark like you mentioned, um, entering the dark before the light. Mm-hmm. Is it always assured that you will get to the light? Of course not. <laughs> Is it assured that you always get to the light? Mm-mm, no. <laughs> and then, sort of related, you mentioned that you have to work with the shadow side when it arises. Yes. How is that done using the five Buddha families? <coughs> Add water, put in the microwave. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All of different uh, practices and teachings are all based on this. Uh, So there's no specific way. So, okay, so the way it works is like, if you go looking at the traditional, uh, if, if you look at, at the beginning of this series I said that there is never a case where, you know, in the traditional material that this is discussed as we're going to have a five Buddha family teaching. It's always embedded in the context of a practice that is indirectly kind of taught and understood, and then you do the practices. Yeah, so it's never abstracted the way that we're doing it. And so I, I do not have an answer for that question because 
There are no traditional methods that work like that. And, and it's interesting to ask why not. <laughs> yeah. So I think there might be some sort of an understanding of human psychology uh, that I would submit is kind of sophisticated. Um, I think we as a culture is, give so much weight to um, knowledge and information. So we think that if we get the right knowledge and the right information, then it can be immediately kind of translated into a course of action. Which in many cases, that's true, you know. But when it comes to kind of overcoming our confusions, it's not so direct. Could, could you directly work with um, the different deities, um, do deity yoga in the context of the five Buddha families? Like, you know that you want to transform one of those directions and work with that deity? It also doesn't work like that. Okay. Yeah. That kind of an emphasis, so the, the, uh, Katya said, you know, couldn't you kind of directly work with it? Like, if you know there is a particular afflictive emotion, then you practice that deity. Well, my sense is that that is more often heard among Western teachers teaching it rather than yeah, those who for generations have been doing this. They, they don't approach it that way. You know, it's like, do this practice and work on purifying it. it it's sort of like, I, I think the traditional way is to incorporate many, many, many different parts and it all comes together. And, and there's less of a picking and choosing. In a way, much more integrated. Here, as a culture, we, we Americans are very good at trying to figure out the most efficient way of doing something. Yeah. Really, there's something good you know, to be said about that. Um, but it doesn't always work when, when we say, I want to work on aversion and patience now. <laughs> you know? Then the afflictive emotions are like, ah, uh-uh, don't want to work on that. I thought it was the other way around where Americans make things complicated and it was the Europeans trying to make great things out. I don't think so. <laughs> That's the old world. <laughs> and all its complications. People came here to get away from that. It's all a very pragmatic. It's a kind of a, you know, there's, as a culture, like we always emphasize efficiency. Right? That, that what's the and, and so there's a lot of innovation, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of, you know, good things you can say about that. I just, 
don't know when it comes to practice, it's too soon to tell. Certainly that is going on. And certainly we're seeing positive results in, in, in many cases. But it's too soon to tell whether it's working or not, I think. Um, but, you know, we have to do what makes most sense to us, you know. So in that way, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. But I also understand, like, well, you know, each of us have different karmas. You have to do what makes sense to you and what works for you. But, you know, there can be different ways of doing things. So, for the most part, I, 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 I kind of would say there is something about that traditional method that doesn't so directly, not because that is not capable of, it's capable of, I know that, of, of understanding that, but they, they don't directly point at it. They come at it from another way. Um, now, which is not to say that um, there aren't principles. So after all, having these three Sundays is to kind of, you know, it's just because Tibetans don't directly do it doesn't mean we can't do it. So the second part of my answer is you experiment with this and, and see what you have learned here that you could use. But, but, but understand that there are limits. You know, so I, I always like to say, you know, let's try to understand how it has worked yeah, for a thousand years among a particular group of people. And then you don't have to ape that. But you need to understand how it has worked to whatever degree that you can. And then we need to experiment. I mean, this is like both the burden and the excitement of Dharma being in a new place. You know, if we just ape what Tibetans did, then we are mimicking. We're not embodying it. And I'm also not ready to just say, you know, yeah, let's form a committee and sit down and decide what are the things we're going to keep and what are the things we're going to throw out. You know, I think time will tell. <coughs> um, so I think there are things. You know, so, so for example, if we understand how, um, let's say, uh, if you look at one of these, um, the eastern direction, Vajra. Right? If you understand how anger mm, is linked together with mirror-like wisdom, Right, and what are the qualities? And I think we talked about this last week. Uh, that that there's something that they have in common. And what happens when there is a certain misperception of what's going on? Then it manifests as anger, or intent to harm. Right, that 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 strong, that kind of strong, willful, you know surge of energy that is with anger that somehow that you know 
is related to this wisdom that we call mirror-like wisdom. Yeah, so from there, I'm sure, you know, we could, the next time we get angry, you know, if we have enough kind of awareness or mindfulness to remember, oh, this is, you know, anger is the Vajra family confused. The, the, the Vajra family kind of perversed then that we need to uncover. So we experiment. I think Robin, you have something to say? Oh, Maybe I, John? I was just really thinking about what you said about the psychology kind of, and it makes a lot of sense, and I'm just thinking in my work, how this is a lot of like what the therapeutic process is like. Mm-hmm. And in that, we notice the small shifts. Mm-hmm. And the small shifts and the small shifts and the small shifts, and then suddenly, then there's a larger sense of awareness yes. of what a big shift has happened. So it, right. I was just noting, uh-huh. thinking about how much sense that makes with right. other kinds of shifts that we're making in ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Trying things, different things, and right. putting them all together. Kind right, of. right. John, you had something to say on that? Um, Not yet. Oh, maybe. Well, I, I think it, was, it was interesting because when we talk about focusing on specific deities in order to purify uh-huh. an afflictive emotion. What comes up for me is, is that it becomes very goal-oriented. Yes. Achievement-oriented. Right. 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 And then I have to ask myself, who is trying to achieve something? Yes. And so there's a, still a tangible sense of I being involved in the practice. Yes. And so it's looking for results, whereas it seems to often the more traditional approaches never need to know. Yes, that is true. Rather, what happens is is that the body-mind becomes informed Mm -hmm. without the I trying to drive that process. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so there's some, yeah. So so I guess, yes, I I think, I like like how the way you put it is that it's not as if that that knowledge is not at work. Right. Yeah, it's at work, but without so directly talking about it, that would create kind of a goal-oriented or result-oriented, right? I, I think that's, again, that's the American pragmatism mm-hmm. that is really efficient, but sometimes gets in the way when, when we do this kind of work. Yes? Yeah, and I, I think also, like, if we... Uh, it's holistic, it's working on everything. But right. where, whereas if you're coming from ignorance and you say, Well, I have anger issues, and you're working on anger issues, it's like, honey, you don't have anger issues, it's desire. Right. You're in denial about it. So it's kinda of, it's kinda of like you can you when you compartmentalize it, unless you have a, a really holistic view right. like, or a or a raised consciousness, you're still coming from ignorance. Right. Right. You know, so it's better do the whole thing. Right, right. And 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 for sure, you know, like we say medicine <laughs> Buddha is for healing, you know, Jambala is abundance, you know. We we, we do say that, you know. Um, but again, on the ground level, it seems traditionally when you do it's much more organic. Mm-hmm. And less of a Expectation for, for like, a particular result needs to happen in a particular way. It kind of like we don't know how it's going to come together. 
And so that's where the devotion kind of comes in. That you're not calculating for when is it going to happen. Like, you know, so it's not like, you know, put it in the oven, you know, at 350, 45 minutes later, you know, your ideal tofurkey is done for Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't work like that, you know. <laughs> um, Um, this, for today, uh, last week I think I mentioned to you one resource, uh, if you want to you know, pursue this, um, which is the Alex Berzin's uh, Berzin Archives. Mm-hmm. That's a, good, a whole good section, really, for mm-hmm. your future kind of, you know, your, your study of this topic. Um, that's one place. Uh, today I want to take you to another source that I will read from and try to kind of comment or unpack a little. Um, it's a book by Tinle Norburumache called The Magic Dance. It's called Magic Dance. Uh, let's see. Uh, the main title is Magic Dance, and then the subtitle is The Display of the Self Nature of the Five Wisdom Dakinis. Tinle Norbu. Uh, Tinle Norbu or uh, you know, more commonly they call him Dungse Rinpoche. Dungse means like sun, uh, and specifically he is he was passed on. Dujon uh, Rinpoche's son, the previous Dujon Rinpoche's eldest son. Uh, again, for those of you who might know these names, it uh, might be interesting to know. He's, he was the German Bache's son and father of Zhong Sakchen Seyran Bache, Tenle Nobu. So, in the introduction section, I thought we'll begin there. Mm, so, here, uh, this book, he is basically talking about the five Buddha families, but he takes it from the approach emphasizing uh, the Dakinis, or also the uh, female Buddhists, uh, the principles of that. Because uh, what's going on here is basically, it's not even so much about feminine and masculine, although one could say that it has something to do with that, but because these five Dakinis, or these five female Buddhists, uh, are said to be the five elements. So really this book is talking about the gross and the subtle aspects of the five elements. And, and, and it's a series of kind of essays that he wrote. Yeah? And they're not always about the five, but here and there it kind of comes back and goes away and comes back again, this theme of the subtle and, and, and mysterious sometimes workings of these elements. Um, and so uh, here, uh, we can begin by first again looking at this chart, this basic one here. Um, so you have the five Buddha families, and, and again, if this, your, if this is your first time here, uh, just quickly saying that there are other systems uh, that 
transpose or changes between the Buddha and the Bajra. Uh, those two sometimes get changed. In this case, the Buddha is in the middle, the Buddha family. Uh, and the Vajra family is in the eastern direction. Sometimes these two uh, are, are switched. Anyway, uh, so here, if you look at... Oh, not. Uh, oh, well, you can write it down. Uh, here, for some reason, it doesn't give the name of the uh, mothers. Uh, or the female Buddhas. So the mothers uh, in the uh, the male Buddhas are called the fathers. Uh, so Yap and Yum. Uh, Yap and Yum. Yap is father. Yum is mother. Uh, interestingly, it's not boyfriend and girlfriend, or husband and wife. Uh, it's 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 fathers and mothers. And the idea, of course, is that through the interaction through the coming together of the fathers and the mothers, then everything is produced. So in that sense of father and mother. So uh, the father for the Vajra family is Akshobhya, which means like the un, the unmoving one. Akshobhya means unmoving. Okay. Yes? Is, uh, what's your relationship between Akshobhya and Vajra Sattva? Uh, yeah, sometimes they are interchangeable. Okay. In some systems, instead of Akshobhya, they call, they say the father is Vajrasattva. Okay. And sometimes it's actually Akshobhya Vajrasattva. Hyphenated. Yeah. Um, I saw that in Chekhov's book. Right. Right. Yeah, Vajrasattva. Um, and so, so the father is Akshobhya, or the unmoving one. And the mother... Oh, it's also not here. Weird. This is what I learned it as Mamika. Uh, yeah, I, I I have the list. It's just I'm really curious. It's that it's not also it's also not here. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, this one, mm, the Akshobhya's uh, consort is Mamaki. Yeah, Mamaki. And uh, you want to write down there, the element is water. Element is water. Then the Ratna family, the father is Ratna Sambhava. Yeah, it's here, it's written here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the uh, element uh, of the Ratna or the jewel family uh, is earth, ashes. Oh, can you get me a pen? Uh, earth family. Thank you. Who's the Uh, and the mother is uh, Buddha Lochana. It's actually called Buddha Lochana. L O C A N A. Lochana. And then the uh, Padma or the Lotus family, uh, the uh, element is fire. 
and the mother is uh, Pandara, as in like Pandora, but Pandara, P-A-N-D-A-R-A, and Vasini, V-A-S-I-N-I, Pandara Vasini. That's the mother. Then in the northern direction, the father is Amogasiddhi. Amogasiddhi. And the uh, mother is uh, Samaya Tara. Samaya, S-A-M-A-Y-A. Tara. Samaya Tara. And the element is uh, wind. In the center, the father is Vairochana, and the mother is Datu Ishwari. D H A T U, Datu Ishwari, eh? or Datishwari. D A D H A T I S V A R I. D H A T I. S-V-A-R-I and the element is space so these are the five mothers and they are basically the five elements so these five elements is what constitutes all of physical existence Then the five fathers are the um, five aggregates, which is a traditional Buddhist list. Form, feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness. Okay, so I'm going to read from uh, this book, uh, and then um, we'll pause at certain points. Mm-hmm. All limited or limitless spheres of existence which arise, whether gross or subtle, unhappy or happy, ordinary or sublime, depend on the five elements, which are the basis of all pure and impure phenomena. So the basis for all pure and impure phenomena, contaminated and uncontaminated phenomena, are these five elements. Throughout samsara and nirvana, from atoms to insects, human beings and objects and machines, everything is made up of the five elements. These five elements, um, now it's me, not him. (laughs) These five elements are in turn mm, kind of the, the material counterpart of the five wisdoms. So then later on, 
uh, he says um, that the enlightened mind reflects all the five wisdoms. And when the enlightened mind yeah, um, when awareness, rikpa, becomes obscured, then it's marikpa, then instead of uh, the five wisdoms, yeah, it becomes the five afflictive emotions. Then instead of the pure elements, they become the impure five elements. These five elements, starting with, uh, so space, wind, water, earth, fire, or these five, right? Uh, So these five elements, space is the quality of, well, space. So it's not an element. It's, It's that which makes it possible for the other elements to exist. Itself is not an element. So poetically, it's said to be an element. So it's not an impure form? Uh, you mean space? Yes. No. Yeah, so in it's pure. So, so we just talk about like, all, all right now actually, without pure and pure, just the basic characteristic of these five elements. Yeah, so what are we talking about? And it's most basic we're talking about, well, space as we ordinarily conceive of it. Simply, yeah, space. And because of space, things can exist. So the things that exist, they are simply the combination of the five elements. And so this is a very primitive, in a way, uh, atomic uh, you know, system. Uh, the elements are only reduced to four types. <laughs> So then the four is wind, water, fire, earth. (coughs) Wind, water, uh, wind, fire, water, earth. Uh, From the most subtle to the grossest element. So first you have wind, uh, then you have fire, then you have water, then you have earth. Now, these four elements, they each have characteristics that that makes them what they are, that defines them for what they are. So the characteristic of uh, space is uh, it it cannot be divided. There are no parts to it. And it's unimpeded. Then the characteristic of um, wind is motility, movement, movement, motility. Uh, the characteristic of fire is heat. The characteristic of water is moist, moisture, wetness. And then the characteristic of earth is firmness or durability. So, uh, let's look at something very gross, like a tooth. (laughs) So, a tooth has a predominance of 
the earth element. In anything, any part in our bodies externally, all, all five, all four elements plus space has to be there. there. There isn't an object that is just earth element. Because just earth element, without the water element, it won't bind together. So moisture element also has the function of binding things together. So there's also water element in like a tooth. Then there is fire element. There's a temperature to it. There's wind element as well. Because the wind element allows the water to actually work. Now, in a strand of hair, there's more element of motility and less of durability, yeah, firmness, again, so on and so forth. So these are just the ordinary combination and workings yeah, of the elements. So here, um, now I'll re- continue reading from here. From the relative so-called, from the la- relative point of view of ordinary mind, divisionless secret wisdom mind appears to be divided into inner and outer elements, which manifest from subtle and discriminating feeling to increasingly gross and distinct form, appearing internally as flesh, blood, heat, breath, and consciousness. So, not these five. Flesh, blood, heat, temperature, breath, and consciousness. So, internally, it's these five. And then, he continues, externally as earth, water, fire, air, and space. So the five elements, externally speaking, is literally the earth. Earth, water, fire, air, and space. Internally, like as it pertains to an individual, then we're talking about flesh, blood, heat, breath, and consciousness. The external and internal manifestations of the outer and inner elements are linked to one another through our activities. And so here, he, 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 this is really interesting. Yeah? And I'll continue. The external substantial form of the earth and the internal substantial form of flesh are linked through eating. eating. The external water and internal blood are linked through drinking. The external fire of the sun and the internal warmth of the body are linked through absorption. The external air and internal breath 
are linked through breathing. The external space of the sky and the internal space of the mind are linked through openness. All five of the elements are interdependent and inherent within each other, enabling them to link and create the infinite display of phenomena. All five of the elements are interdependent and inherent within each element, enabling them to link and create the infinite display of phenomena. So all of phenomena, and hence the subtitle of this book, the dance of the five dakinis, or in some ways you could say the dance of the five groups of dakinis. All atomic size bazillion numbers of them dancing together to display all of phenomena. Okay, now uh, he he will kind of discuss this five elements, yeah, in the process of how we kind of come into existence. Okay. Phenomena originally appear conspicuous to ordinary mind. Here, ordinary mind means the confused mind, <coughs> not the ordinary that. You know, that's like the Buddha mind is ordinary mind. Here, here simply means the confused mind. Phenomena originally appear conspicuous to uh, this ordinary mind from the subtle air element out of the subtler space element. So the most subtle thing that you can notice uh, is the element of air, which originates from space. Because they are both light and invisible, they complement each other. And when the more conspicuous subtle air element is drawn to ordinary mind's subtler space elements through karma, they engage and move together inseparably. Uh, we read. Because they are both light and invisible. Meaning the subtle air element and the subtle space element. Because they are both light and invisible, they complement each other. And when the more conspicuous subtle air Um, and the more sorry, conspicuous subtle air element is drawn to the mind's subtler, subtler space element through karma, they engage and move together inseparably. This activity automatically generates subtle warmth, which is the essence of the subtle fire element. When the more conspicuous and substantial, so you have the subtle aspect of the elements and the more conspicuous. 
When the more conspicuous and substantial fire element is drawn to the subtle air element through karma, they engage and move together inseparably. This activity generates the less subtle water element. This sounds like you're describing a process of oxidation generating moisture. Yeah, it's, it's what he's doing. Yeah. Right. When the more conspicuous and substantial subtle element is drawn to the subtle fire element through karma, they engage and move together inseparably. This activity generates the most conspicuous and substantial earth element. So, wind and air, a wind and uh, 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 air and space dancing together, then generates a, a grosser element. And then the next, and the next, and the next, and now you have the earth element. And he says, when beings die, this process reverses direction. When the substantial form of the earth element dissolves into the water element, the body becomes pale and inert. When the moisture of the water element dissolves into the fire element, the body becomes dry. When the warmth of the fire element dissolves into the air element, the body becomes cool. When the breath of the air element dissolves into the space element, mind becomes unconscious. And this is called death. So when you have a life, it's clockwise, and then when it comes to death, it's counterclockwise. How did you get clockwise in the first place? Oh, you're looking at this. Yes. Oh, uh, mm, I don't know. The positions are a little bit, don't really go from subtle to, yeah, it's, it's in the center space. Yes. And then you go wind <coughs> and then fire and then you jump over the water and then you jump over the earth. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not clockwise or counterclockwise okay. per se. I missed that part where you went to the fire part. I thought you had to have the space then fire it. Oh, never mind, I'm sorry. No problem. My fault. This is a question. Mm -hmm. Do you need higher yoga tantra initiations in order to study deeper the five Buddha families? Is it explained in the Sutrayana or only the Vajrayana? Only in Vajrayana and only in highest yoga tantra material that they are explicitly uh, addressed. But you don't need initiations You do, but since it's, you know, obvious that we're all going to the hell realms, I thought, <laughs> you know, it won't be too bad to add another <laughs> couple of logs into that fire. <laughs> Uh, traditionally, yes. Uh, I, you know, in the first ses uh, session, the first Sunday, I said, you know, this wouldn't be taught unless in the context, you know, of a highest yoga tantra. Um, but you know, as the Dalai Lama says, a lot of information is already floating around out there, mm -hmm. like it or not. So, 
if in some ways we're kind of breaking you know, the letter of the rule, maybe at least in spirit we, should, we, we won't break it if we, we do this so that to clarify and not just let the material floating out there and you guys just simply you know, pick up whatever you pick up. So might as well. So, you know, joking aside, in a way, it's true. It's like, we're already in the hell realm. So, you know, if we're going to go any wrong, it's just adding a couple of more logs into the fire. <laughs> but hopefully we're not doing that, you know. Hopefully <laughs> we're getting a cup buckets of water to extinguish at least some of the fire. <laughs> yes. So, is it that the... the Appearance of the physical world is based on our, our karma. Say that again. Sorry. Is the appearance of the physical world ah. based on karma? Yes. Based on our, our, yes. our collective and individual yes. karma? Yes. Yeah. So the question, you know, uh, is the appearance of the external world the result of our individual and collective karma? And I said, yes, that is a traditional Buddhist understanding. And, and part of the practice is for us to, to cut the cords of karma to, for liberation, or is, it, or is that like an old, older... Um, it's not... Well, yes, ultimately, all karma generates uh, results, results that ripen in samsara. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's so important to cultivate, therefore, skillful, virtuous karma mm-hmm. and avoid unskillful negative karma. Does, does um, skillful karma result in attachment, or is it that's it? That's like good deeds still still cause samsara, or still cause samsara. But as long as we're in samsara, it's better to have good karma than bad karma. Like it creates more of a heaven than it does a hell. Or at least it creates the um, conditions that are necessary for us to learn dharma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we squander those conditions away by enjoying them like heaven, then of course, it, then it's, it's just, it becomes exhaustible. Mm-hmm. But if we, that's why we say after every practice we do dedication so that they become inexhaustible. We dedicate it for the purpose of awakening. Yeah, but it's really important that we accumulate as much positive karma as possible. But with the caveat, with the understanding that Buddhists are free. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. We, were, we, were, we have always been free. Yes. So it, it's just, I mean, that, it's, it's almost like that's our baseline state and we're dreaming this dream. Yes. And, um, and while we're in the dreams, the demons are scary, mm-hmm. angels are nice. Mm-hmm. So we should try to create more angels mm-hmm. before we wake up. <laughs> if, we, if we realize that we create both, then we probably remember that we're Buddha. Like, mm-hmm. like yes. One day we say, okay, I'm going to see yes. what happens if I have bad thoughts and I have a really crappy day. And then we yes. see what happens if I give love to everybody. It's like, oh, that's funny. Everybody yes. getting a lot of love back. It's like, so who, where's the variable? Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have Andrew Carr and Andy Carr in the Contemplating Reality. He said that uh, um, negative and positive are dual, and when you have that dual reality, 
and you're confused, not the true reality. Ah, mm. uh, he doesn't quite say that. That's a slippery slope. You got to read that more carefully. Uh, good and bad is really important to clearly distinguish. Mm-hmm. But that was very clear about that. So this phrase, you know, determine that which is to be adopted and that which is to be discarded. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. But in the context of scrupulously observing that, seal it with the higher understanding that there is no inherent you that is doing, that is experiencing, that is... Yeah, that's, that's what yeah. they all yeah. say. Yeah. So Diamond Sutra talks about this. You know, like, a bodhisattva engages in the impossible task of liberating all sentient beings. It's literally impossible because sentient beings are limitless. So how do you, you know, get rid of limitless? By definition, it's not possible. But bodhisattvas accomplish that task and become Buddhas. How? By realizing that there are no beings to liberate. In the context of knowing that there are no beings ultimately to liberate, then you can liberate all beings. So that, that goes back to like that the idea of like if it all radiates from my my Buddhist self, uh-huh. then I don't, I'm not really liberating anybody out there. Yes. I'm liberating. My, I'm remembering who I am. Yes. And then I'm radiating that. Right. And then and then act in the world. And, and act in the world. Yes, and yes. act in the world is important. Act skill, skillfully in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other day I was talking to someone, and um, it was you know in the context of trying to figure out you know to overcome certain patterns of behavior and things like that. And so we had a nice talk about you know first kind of understanding. Um, causes of happiness and causes of suffering, all of that, you know. And then, uh, then I recommended like also certain meditation practice to do, to kind of indirectly, but you know, kind of more holistically working at. Like you have this understanding, but then when you do the practice, you're not necessarily thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. They're in the background informing your practice. Your practice, you just need to practice on purifying. So, first you need that understanding, that knowledge, which is what we're learning here. I guess this is how, yeah, if you think about how this all comes together, including the question uh, earlier from uh, one of you on Skype. Mm. We learn all of this and let all of this kind of be in the background informing. Yeah, And, And they're not like Yelling and screaming, <laughs> you know, five wisdoms, five confusions, five poisons, five you know elements, but they're in the background. And then you train in a particular practice, yeah. Whether it's so in the Vajrayana context, whether it's Didi Yoga, whether it's Mahamudra practice, whether it's Six Yogas, whether it's Chid, whether it's you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. 
And when you do that, you're not thinking, "Oh, this is this, that is that." You, you, you let go of that, but it's there. It's informing your practice. Yeah. Then there has to be a third part too, and the third part. Uh, I remember in the context of talking uh, to this person, I said, "And finally, you have to do all of this with the clear understanding that." It's not possible to improve yourself. Mm. There's no point trying to improve yourself. If you have that as a goal, you are bound to fail. Self-improvement, but this <laughs> program is not self-improvement. That's hopeless. <laughs> Doesn't there have to be, though, in the beginning of the process of self-improvement? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you don't want to around killing people. Yes. No. No. That's why I say the the first piece is you 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 gain understanding, you gain knowledge, you gain clarity. What is to be adopted? What is to be you know, discard it and all of that. Mm. Then you get given a, a, a method which might not seem to be directly. See, especially us Americans, we, we want to see. Wait, how does this directly? You know, this this handling of these. You know, <laughs> it's like wait, wait. Well, what has that got to do with? You know, no, it's not obvious. It's not sub. It's not obvious. But you need to throw yourself into whether it's that or whatever. Mm-hmm. You do that. But you do all of this with the understanding that no, you cannot improve the self, because in Buddhist terms, any attempts to improve the self is just deluded. First of all, the self—if there is a self, it doesn't need improvement. If there isn't a self, trying to improve it will be ridiculous. And if there is a mistaken self. There's no point in proving that. <laughs> so the true self is what we call Buddha nature. Buddha nature doesn't need any improvement. The non-existent self is the self that we think exists. It doesn't exist. So there's nothing to improve there. And the confused, deluded self. You don't want to improve it. <laughs> And it's liberating when you understand that. Otherwise, practice leads to more headache. But you cannot stop practicing. Seems like the self is one of the goals of the self is selflessness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that becomes a real challenge. Yes. Yeah. Because it can, right. it can drive the practice. Yes. Trungpa Rinpoche calls it the self-attending its own funeral. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ordering the tugs, all of that, making big plans for the <coughs> funeral. That's how the self is. You know, It's so sneaky that it will, you know, plan the funeral and also attend it. 
and be the efficient. <laughs> but in the background, deal, it will invent a rebirth process. Yes. Mm. There's a question uh, on Skype, yeah, you said. Uh, uh, wait. Uh, uh, <laughs> all forms of technology are being used. So it says no, technology no, breakdown. Can does you the read mind it? really go unconscious at the time of death? Does the mind really go unconscious at the time of death? Uh, yeah, in the Bardo teachings they talk about there is a blackout. Mm. We're starting um, uh, uh, we're starting uh, the POA uh, Transference of Consciousness course in November. Uh, it will be six Sundays in which the first four Sundays is uh, preparing you for the transmission. The mm -hmm. fifth Sunday, uh, I think Kimbo Javel, I have requested to come from Pittsburgh to give the transmission. Then the sixth Sunday, uh, we will kind of go over, you know, what what was transmitted and how how we practice. But these are not six consecutive Sundays; they are spread out to two three months, because in between Sundays there's mm -hmm. kind of homework. Will that be available on Skype? Uh, the transmission part, I don't know. Of course, you can still take it. Uh, there are varying degrees of different opinions as to whether a transmission can happen over Skype or not. <laughs> <laughs> or, or technology. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. Some people say no, some people say yes. Uh, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but certainly, um, the classes, the Sundays, I think we could arrange that. Yeah. So, you know, you can participate to that degree. Um, there was another question. Could you read the other question? What happens if you try to skip the skillful practice stage? Intellectualism? Ah, yes. Question that comes with answers. I like that. <laughs> if you skip the skillful practice stage, then it's, yeah, it's intellectualism in that I'll give you a good example. Because of having a good friend that is obsessed with running, I've read a few books about people running. But that's not going to cut it when a tiger comes. <laughs> I'm not going to run too far before <laughs> being eaten by a tiger. <laughs> so it's not just intellectualism, it's actually, oh shit. <laughs>
So everything, I think the most amazing thing the Buddha had to give us is not really the view. <coughs> I'm going to be a little bit kind of controversial here. You know, sometimes it's said that the most important thing in, 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 in that the, the most important thing the Buddha taught is the view. Because after all, it's confusion, right? And when the view is correct, then confusion is dispelled. Yeah? The result is there. But then, if there's just view and no way to arrive at the view, then the view is just an idea. So I think the most amazing thing that Buddha gave us are actually the skillful practices. The path. And not the result. Because the result, any reasonable person yeah, that is not like mentally impaired can look at the description of the result and say, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take a Buddha to describe that. It's like, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> right? It's the path. It's the path that makes it unique. What the Buddha had to give us is the path. And if we don't take the path to practice, then we can walk around subscribing to a set of beliefs, which is not which is the other way of saying intellectualism. I mean, it's just a little bit more sophisticated than blind faith. Yeah? Intellectualism is just slightly more sophisticated than blind faith. Neither case is really going to do you any good when the tiger is chasing you. You have to learn and you know, exercise those muscles and all of that. Is that what Milarepa was pointing out when he had stated that uh, one does not know the sweetness of sugar by merely hearing its name? Yeah, I mean, lots of you know statements like that. You know, uh, someone can talk to no end about how tasty some food is, but if you've not tasted it, I like the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy that you know want to get this sticker that says zero point zero. The marathon. Yeah. This is zero point zero. I don't run. It says. <laughs> and I say to people, I say, you know. We didn't evolve to this point to be running around like insane. Unless there's a tiger chasing you, there's no reason to be running. <laughs> but I'm also thinking, actually, when the tiger really chases me, I'm not going to be... It's 0.0, .0 for sure. <laughs> not going to be running much. <laughs> Eaten by a tiger. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for the next cover of Running Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.